Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Nick, today's episode of The Pod is brought to you by the good folks at Omeo. Omeo.com is your new booking platform. It makes planning a journey in Europe and North America effortless. Nick, I'm vaxxed. You're vaxxed. Where are we going? Where's the trip? Where are we booking? I think first trip is probably going to be a business trip for me. We've got new clients outside the tri-state area. Shout out to the Southeast. So I envision myself getting on a plane sometime this fall. So that's probably that's probably the first thing that comes to mind. What about you? Well, well, I mean, I got to go somewhere. I don't know where I'm going to be going. Um, I was obviously in Miami. Everybody knows that. I came back to New York, um, but I would love to travel. And if I'm going to travel, Nick, it's a perfect segue, by the way. I know people hate nice, when I say nice perfect segue. Nice Omeo will magically right. give me all of the train, bus, flight, and ferry options for your journey. Well, let's start there because I'm not, if I got to take a ferry somewhere or a train or bus, I don't want to go there. I want to fly somewhere. I got to get out of here. But it's never been simpler to book that first real vacation of 2021. Best of all, Nick, check this out. Using Omeo saves you time and money, and that's a win-win in our books. And Omeo wants to help you leave your house this summer. It's, it's hot out, folks, so you got to leave the house, right? Everybody wants to go somewhere warm with some water. And they're offering our listeners right now 5% off their next booking. Nick, you're writing this down because you're a big, you're yeah, a big saver. Five percent's legit, man. I don't know if you people have been looking at prices for airlines and all kinds of travel. Everybody trying to make that coin after last year. So five percent off of an expense like that—that's uh, that's what's up. No, that's a great point. Uh, th- they're trying to recruit that money, so you're going to need the discounts right now. Just head to omeo.com right now, folks, and use the code Listener Five at checkout. It's valid until June 30th for new users on all of the modes of transport that are available there on omeo.com that you want to uh, book. So omeo.com is just a pick-me-up for your 2021 needs. Plan, book, and love the journey. Terms and conditions may apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another installment of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. What up, everybody? This is Nick Saveri. Oh, word up, everybody. Okay. What podcast is this? What did we we got to do <laughs> the NPR voices. People are not expecting. Oh, here we go with this. You're scaring okay. everybody all of a sudden. Word <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, not, not Anglo enough. My, my apologies. Let me, let's, <laughs> yeah. try this. Let's, let's try this again, Mike. Yeah. How are you doing, my friend, Nicholas? How's everything, man? I'm doing very well. We used up soap over here. We, you know, we keep it clean. You know, I've got a beautiful white Chevrolet in the back. <laughs> Kids are doing well. We've got golf practice coming up. We got uh, that's great. very well done. You're taking it extremely far, but yeah, that's very well done. I like that. Um, it is, by the way, it is a scorcher out here. If you live in the Northeast, it is brutal out here. We just did our meteorology episode before. 
So weather patterns are are coming across the country, but man, it is hot out there in the Northeast. Uh, speaking of what's hot, because politics right now is on fire. I, I was reading an article the other day on Politico about obviously what's going on with the Trump organization and the and the grand jury subpoena. And then I, I was flipping around the dial and watching something on the voting rights legislation that's being passed in the different states in Georgia, Arizona, Texas. And, and one person just kind of kept coming up in some of these circles. I was like, I got to talk to this person because she is everywhere. And so our guest for today uh, is, is the fabulous Kim Whaley. Uh, Kim Whaley is a university uh, a professor at the University of Baltimore uh, School of Law. She is a frequent contribu contributor, excuse me, to the bulwark.com, to Politico, like I mentioned, The Hill. You've seen her on CNN, MSNBC. She was formerly a legal analyst on CBS News. She was a former assistant U.S. attorney. And she's also written some fantastic books that I highly recommend for people out there that really want to get civically engaged. There's two of them, specifically um, one called How to Read the Constitution and Why. And the other one is what you need to know about voting and why. And in these books, you know, Kim really details for the lay person, like not only it's not so much like reciting what's in the Constitution and breaking it down from a legal perspective, but it's understanding the different things between what's political, what's policy, what some of the framers had in mind when they wrote certain things, how they didn't account for certain things <laughs> uh, when they wrote this, you know, uh, eons ago. So. Uh, I highly recommend the book. Um, and we invited Kim on the show today because there are so many different things, like I mentioned, going on in, in the news and politics space that we wanted to you know, get her not only her take on, but, you know, leverage her, her background and experience, especially on the legal side of things. Uh, Nick, I know you've seen a lot of Kim's work in the past um, and, and recently, too. She was just recently on MSNBC on Velshi's show in the morning. So um, your thoughts on, on Kim and, and also what's going around? The news and politics space today. Yeah, I think she provides a really important service right now. You know, Mike, you and I talk often about civics education. I mean, we talk about education a lot. Obviously, that's part of my background and, you know, what I like to bring to the show. But, you know, something that really is missing in classrooms is, is meaningfully understanding, you know, the way our legal system works and not just the legal system, but laws. And we've had this conversation with Ellie Honig. Um, you know, we've had this with, you know, a variety of other guests in one form or another, Sabrina recently, right? You know, when we talk about legislation and that uh, at that time it was about immigration, you know, what Professor Whaley brings though, is this understanding of like, why is it important and how do you actually access the constitution, you know, from the standpoint of being an engaged and informed citizen. So she's doing really important stuff that from an education standpoint, we need to bring back in the classrooms, but that it's coming from her just really across platforms. Mike, you mentioned three or four different outlets where you see the same person. That's really important. And we're talking also today about, you know, these books that she's putting out too. So even in the written word, you have access to understanding from, from a law professor's standpoint, but being able to bring it down to someone who's not a lawyer like you and I, the importance of these things and how to be an engaged citizen. So I'm, I'm so for this. Like I said, so many guests come on that you and I just sort of get pumped throughout the day, throughout the week, getting ready for uh, today, especially is important to me because you know, when we look at the average age of voters and when we look at these previous election cycles and, you know, where are the 18 to 25 year olds? You know, when does that opportunity for them continue to stand up? We saw a greater presence in the 2020 election, but it's still not enough. And these systems are built by, for lack of a better phrase, old people. 
and they're going to continue to stay the way they are. You and I know one particular person right now in West Virginia that <laughs> hangs the balance of, of government and law in this country is asinine. We all need to do better. We need to understand better. I think that's what Pro Professor Whaley brings to us. Yeah, no. And that's really well said about, obviously, Senator Joe Manchin and all the news that's going around him because she wrote a piece as well on, on the bulwark about that. But yeah, a couple of the things that I like about uh, Kim, um, first off, she has a, a program on YouTube and it's available across digital platforms on social called Simple Politics, um, kind of in line with what we're doing. The difference is, you know, years of being an assistant U.S. attorney, she can give another perspective on the legalities behind certain things. But it's really understanding things at a fundamental level. Right. We don't we don't want to throw out so many big words that we lose the audience. How do we make it simpler? She did an episode about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. You know, she's done an episode recently on COVID with a, with a renowned doctor. So like things like that are kind of in our wheelhouse and things that we like to do from an informative and educational standpoint. Um, the other thing, like I mentioned, the two books um, I think are fantastic because, you know, it's the word constitution gets thrown around way too much, you know, for everything, freedoms, liberties. You see it from, you know, right and left when they're making arguments about what the framers intended, as if any of them were around back then. Um, so and there's so much to that, that people don't really understand what's in the Constitution, how the Bill of Rights came about, like things like that, that I think she kind of breaks down in her books. And then the other thing is she's been really obviously advocating, as have a lot of people and, and justifiably so with all the legislation that's being passed to make voting harder. You know, we've had Jessica Coggins on from the Texas Signal uh, talking about the legislation in Texas, obviously. And we've had other people on the program talking about some of this, you know, voter rights issues that are happening in specifically the Southeast states, you know, Georgia, Florida, Texas. That yeah, are, I wonder why. Yeah, wonder there's some com there's a commonality there. I, I can't put my finger on it, but I'm um, just totally blank, drawing the blank on this. Hey, and that's why Kim's going to come on the program today to there really because she has um, done some fantastic work on this, but really, I think at the root is okay. So now these laws get passed at these states. What can be done legally to challenge some of these things? Does it have to come from the federal level? And those are things that I think people, you know, you and I, lay people that listen, watch this show, they don't understand. What, well, what can we do next? And that's why we're going to have Kim on the program to break all of that down. So I'm super excited that she was able to join us today. Today's episode, Nick, is sponsored by Relief Factor. Pain from everyday living, exercise, or just getting older is one of the leading causes of trips to the doctor and sleepless nights. Nick, how you feeling, buddy? I mean, I, I, could, do, I could use some pain relief. I got that 15-month-old on my arm constantly. I'm, you know, got my six-year-old running around. For some reason, she likes to punch me a lot. I'm mm -hmm. raising a little warrior there. So, yeah, I got pain. Shoulders, my shoulders and my back are where, are where it lives. So you got to tell me more about this, man. Well, look, the copy says here it interferes with daily activities and can keep us from spending time with the people we love. So you fed right into it, because if you have everyday pain, folks, it stands to reason you need something you can feel comfortable with taking every day. And that's why doctors invented 100 percent drug free relief factor. OK, now there's tens of thousands of customers that are using relief factor every day to become mostly or completely pain free. But 100% drug-free relief factor, let me tell you a little bit about it, because it features four key ingredients that each work on a different metabolic pathway to support your body's natural healing process to respond to pain and inflammation. All right, Nick, get ready. Get ready for our 90s, uh, you know, little infomercial here, because do this. you can try relief factor too, folks. The quick, the three-week quick start 
It's a retail price of almost $70, Nick, $70. It's now available to our listeners for just $19.95. Stop it. I swear, $19.95. That's slash like $20, price. folks. <laughs> no promo code needed, folks. All you got to do is head to the link in our show notes to find out more. I want to do it again. $19.95. No, no, I'm kidding. So listen, folks, no, in all seriousness, this is the retail price of almost $70 for this product. And it's available to the customers for $19.95. That's insane. Head to the link in our show notes to find out more. And let's start your journey to better health and less pain today with Relief Factor. All right, like we introduced at the top, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of this guest, interest of full disclosure. I mentioned this before, um, started seeing her everywhere, and I was like, I need to speak with her. Uh, she is a professor at the University of Baltimore School of Law. You've seen her as a frequent contributor on the different uh, network shows from CNN, MSNBC, CBS News. She's also a writer for The Atlantic, The Bulwark.com, The Hill, Political, a recent article that just came out. And she has two fantastic books out there in the marketplace that I just mentioned earlier, uh, specifically on on why uh, voting matters and how to read the Constitution and why. And that is Kim Whaley. Kim, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us. Thank you for having me. So happy to be here. Well, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, No joke. I was reading your article earlier today, um, uh, specifically about, um, you know, the, the lawsuit involving Representative Eric Swalwell. And what that could uh, shape out for Donald Trump and his legal fate. I wanted to get into that article, if you didn't mind, for a second, because there was something that you wrote towards the end of the article. If there's a question, if this were to reach the U.S. Supreme Court, that we wouldn't know how the Supreme Court would rule on this. And it could lead to future insurrections that could become commonplace in America. Take our audience a little bit through the article and the piece and what the civil suit is alleging in terms of President Trump's involvement in January 6th. Yeah, well, that's a big question that actually has multiple levels um, in terms of answering. So I might get a little broader than even the article. But the article essentially is about a lawsuit that was filed by, as you mentioned, by Representative Swalwell in federal court here in Washington, basically seeking damages and an injunction against the president, against Rudy Giuliani and others uh, to stop future speeches that could prompt insurrection. So they want the court as a civil matter, uh, you know, Joe Schmendrick sues Jane Doe, that kind of private civil action. They want Donald Trump to basically be banned from doing that in the future. And the reason that uh, I think this suit came about is because the other mechanisms for holding presidents accountable to the people have failed. Uh, The primary one is impeachment, of course. And we saw impeachment fail twice. Many people thought the first impeachment around the quid pro quo quo call to Ukrainian, the Ukrainian president to announce an investigation into Joe Biden. Some people thought that was a bit petty, but it's really hard to watch the footage of January 6th. Uh, Five people dead, uh, you know, the, the halls of Congress trashed the entire U.S. Congress sitting there and all of their staffers running for their lives, calling their loved ones. It was a really serious, horrific event. It's hard to see that and say, listen, there should be no accountability. Harry Truman, the buck stops there. The buck should stop with the president. And the Republican Congress refused 
uh, to convict him on the theory that while he's no longer a sitting president, um, when, you know, if you look back a few weeks, they were also not interested or in support of any action while he was president. So it's had you win uh, tails, uh, you lose type of, or I lose, so, so to speak. So um, what we've seen is essentially under the, this last president, the guardrails of the d democracy in terms of making sure presidents don't act like kings fall apart. The Justice Department has a longstanding internal policy memo. It's kind of like an employee manual that says, you know what, don't prosecute sitting presidents. That goes back to Richard Nixon. So you can't use the criminal justice system against the sitting president. Um, we saw not just the insurrection acquittal, uh, but we saw the first impeachment. Remember, one of the one of the claims was, you know what, you've completely blown off every congressional subpoena. Congress said, no problem. We're going to acquit you on that, which sets a precedent that Congress basically has no power over the president anymore. So, so the reason I put that last line in there is I really think this civil this civil line of inquiry, particularly given that Republicans in the Congress refused to 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 vote up a or, or authorize a nonpartisan commission to get into to get to the bottom of January 6th. Democrats caved on all their requirements. So it was tailor made to how the Republicans want it. They wouldn't do that either. So it kind of is like what's left. What's left is a civil lawsuit. There are a lot of problems with that lawsuit uh, barriers that that Eric Swallow would have to come to overcome. But the problem is um, if the Supreme Court were to say and there are good reasons to say, listen, you can't sue presidents over stuff like that then we're really left with unlimited power in the U.S. presidency. And maybe, our, you know, there are listeners out there who supported Donald Trump. That's, you know, I respect that. The issue, though, is if you change the job description and say anything goes, uh, one day there'll be someone you don't like, and then it's too late to turn that, that around. And I've been sort of ringing this bell uh, for four years now, and I, I'm sure we'll get into voting in elections, but, but I think things are even bleaker than they were prior to the 2020 election when it comes to the electoral system and voting. And I said on Ali Velshi on Saturday, MSNBC, um, we're one, we are really one one election cycle away from the, the end of American democracy as we know it. It's been the systematic dismantling of government by we the people. And it might just be that we need to lose it to realize how precious it is. I'm all for doom and gloom. And just just to be real about because I think that's what is on the table, you know, and, and Mike knows this about me. I tend to sort of think in those terms, too. But um, Professor Wiley, is it is it really a matter you're as you're articulating sort of those points a moment ago? Is it really a matter of just Congress then taking action, like being able to put those protections in place? Again, this is a matter that ultimately the Supreme Court could get involved in. But if there are certain laws passed that can be able to undo, like you said, the, the memo within the Justice Department, is it a matter of just Congress actually potentially doing its job as, as yeah. one of our three branches? Nick, no, I, I appreciate um, that comment and the question. I, I don't like being the harbinger of, of gloom and doom, but the way I see this is you're in a hospital and there's triage, someone has a broken ankle, someone is bleeding out. American democracy is bleeding out and I have four children and you know the, the writing's on the wall and education is number one. So that's why this kind of a podcast is so critical because pretty much most people when I tell this scenario are stunned, shocked, can't believe it. And you know, nobody likes to say, gosh, if I only knew, if I, if I had only done something differently, so now's the time. To answer the other question about what can happen, absolutely. Um, Congress needs to act. 
This is why there's been so much discussion around West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, because he is this moderate Democrat that is essentially refusing to budge on the voting, uh, the For the People Act, which is would fix a lot of the voting problems in this country, and also on the filibuster. Now, so for viewers that may or may not, or listeners that may or may not know this, the filibuster is a procedural relic that essentially la- allows the minority party to veto any legislation, requires 10 Republicans to sign on, and they're just saying no. So there's a lot of pressure to get rid of that. So some of what we're talking about can happen. Without that, Congress can't do anything. But I'll tell you, and this is a bit of a longer explanation we can get into, I have a piece that's out today in The Hill uh, that makes the argument that the number one thing I think that needs to happen, the, the, the real hemorrhaging, the real threat, is not even pending yet in Congress, and that would be amendments to an old statute from, I think it's 1887, called the Electoral Count Act. And that statute is what governs how the states and the United States Congress count votes for the Electoral College. So go right back to January 6th. If we don't want to see another hot mess like that, the Electoral Count Act needs to be amended to say, states, you cannot ignore the popular vote. Right now, it allows legislatures to say, meh, we're going to give it to our choice. We're going to give it to the politician of choice and ignore the will of the people. It also allows, on January 6th, the U.S. Congress to say, meh, even if it gets past the Electoral College certifications in the states, we're going to ignore that and we're going to uh, anoint, say, a Republican for president, even if Joe Biden wins the Electoral College. That is really the most crucial issue right now, because of course it doesn't take a constitutional scholar to understand. If that happens, it's no longer government wiped by we the people because our votes will have gotten thrown out, ignored, canceled. Then it becomes government by we the powerful. That's a completely different system of government. And given what happened on January 6th, given what's happening across the country on voting rights, And given that the Republican Party is adhering to the big lie, the notion that Joe Biden is not a legitimate president, all the stages being set for Republican legislatures to take the vote from the popular will and give it the Electoral College votes to someone else. And and if that fails, it's set the stages being set for the United States Congress to take the Electoral College vote away from the states and pick the their choice of president so my view is that every american uh, frankly needs to vote members of congress at the midterms into office or keep them in office uh people who are not adhering to the big lie and right now that's primarily democrats that to me is the linchpin for saving democracy this next cycle and i know it's scary to hear but you know it'd be scarier if we're the if we're the handmaid's tale in a few years i'll be honest and we're not that far off. Uh, the follow to that, the follow to that question, to that point, though, I, if I remember reading correctly, some individual states are starting to have measures in place that say that you know if the vote goes, like if the popular, like the popular vote is respected in terms of where the elector electoral votes go to. Am I correct in that? Like individual states that start putting in measures uh, in in support of this. You know that is possible. I'll, I'll be in, in all honesty, Nick. I've been paying closer attention to the states that are going the other direction. My guess mm. is, if the states are going 
in a direction to adhere to the popular vote, they were they're probably more likely blue states because they're not involved in this this disintegration of democracy. The the bit the the flip side of that of that is Georgia, for example, um, and there are a handful of other states with proposed legislation. But if you recall, um, Donald Trump, he's under criminal investigation in Georgia for making a phone call to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Uh, in Georgia, when the popular vote went for for Joe Biden, saying find enough votes to give it to me, so one of the elements of the new voting package that did pass in Georgia is to take that power away from Brad Raffensperger, whoever's in that seat, and give it to the legislature. So when that call comes, in theory, another in the future, politicians will say no problem, we'll ha- we'll give you we'll give you Georgia, even though the popular vote went to somebody else. So I'm more worried about the states in the breach because that is so unprecedented. It's it's not even, you know, when I say unprecedented, of course, what we saw in prior to the Voting Rights Act in 1960s with lynching of people who voted, uh, of people of color. We've had a very dark history. Uh, but since then, since 1965, I don't know that we've seen, uh, maybe in 2011, but I don't think we've seen an assault on the right to vote as robust as we're seeing right now. Well, you fed right into it because I wanted to ask you about the states, specifically Georgia, Florida, Texas. Um, we've had a couple people on from from the different states to talk about the, the individual uh, laws that are being passed and the measures that are being taken to restrict access to voting, mail-in voting. So I, I want to ask you a two-part question, which is the worst thing to do as a, as a journalist. Um, and yeah, he's going to do it anyway. Yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. The first part. I'm a lawyer, of, I can handle it. Okay. <laughs> right, right. The first, the first part is, um, which one is the most egregious? I think to people on the surface, they they see, you know, the Chiron at the bottom of CNN, MSNBC, and it's it's all bad, right? So, which one is really I- infringing upon voters' rights that you think is the most egregious of of all of them? I know they're all bad, but of all of them, and and if you could take us into what is being passed in those states. And then the flip side of it is, so what do we do now? These get passed at the state level. Do we just wait for the federal level to pass something? HR1 is like the vote for the people act. Like what is it that can be done post this? Okay. So you've named, I think the baddest actors, at least on, um, on the stage right now. And that would be Texas and Georgia. Texas experts say is now the hardest state in the country in which to vote. Uh, And, um, you know, the the avalanche of changes in these states are are too overwhelming to kind of pick apart state by state. But I want to highlight a few things that are particularly egregious. We've seen we heard many people heard in in Georgia how um, there's now a penalty for bringing food and water to people who are standing in line to vote. Um, But in my mind, there's a couple other things that are potentially even worse in various states across the country. Um, I mean, Texas is difficult because, um, you know, just a lot of pulling back on, you know, mobile voting, you know, uh, early voting, voting by mail, um, ID requirements for mail-in voting, ID ID requirements for in-person voting, but this is in all kinds of states. But the two things that are particularly problematic, in addition to, as I said, taking election administration away from career officials and giving it to politicians. um, One is 
that states across the country in various places are empowering so-called poll watchers to essentially bully voters and to bully election officials. And the flip side of that, when I say that, and we saw this in Pennsylvania, these lawsuits about, do you have to be six feet or 10 feet? There's, there was an injunction in place in the early 80s against the Republican Party, a federal injunction that was renewed, but that expired a few years ago because this is an old trick, right? But the other thing about these, uh, these empowering poll workers to bully is these laws are also precluding election officials from doing anything about it. So say, you know, you've got people voting or you have someone counting ballots and there's a heckler screaming over their shoulder. The laws are banning these people who are working these elections from doing it be against the law to stop that person so that you could do your job. And the 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 other part of that is some of these states are making it a crime or imposing up to a $25,000 penalty on election workers for making ministerial mistakes. If they, for example, and I can't keep track of which state is which, because again, it's so over, overwhelming, um, but their proposal, at least one proposal, if an election official were to send a mail-in ballot to someone without a specific request in that election, they could be subject to a criminal penalty. If they didn't cl close a Dropbox box by a certain t date and time, sharp, impose criminal penalty or a massive civil fine. Now, guys, I mean, one of the big problems with the big lie is that this election in a pandemic was administered by thousands and thousands of regular people, our neighbors, our friends, our teachers, our colleagues, our moms, our dads, our grandmas, our grandpas. These are not fraudsters. These are not people, these are people who work really hard and they do it because they care about democracy and they care about their communities. A lot of them have gotten harassed. Um, you know, there are reports of bodyguards the last round because people are so angry about the fraud. And now you're going to be susceptible to criminal penalties um, for just doing your job and making mistakes like we all do. Who's going to show up for these things? I mean, it's really just making, you know, voting close to impossible. Now, what can we do about it? Well, the first thing is people need to hear that voting is not just important at the federal level. It's really important at the state and local level. Uh, the people that are in charge of how your elections are run are your state and local officials. If you don't like how they're dealing with these voting laws, you need to vote out of office your state legislatures, the state legislators, the state senators and the state members of whatever the House of Representatives or the Commonwealth are named different things. That's absolutely vital. There is, as you mentioned, Mike, two pieces of legislation that are pending the United States Congress. Joe Manchin, I mentioned him earlier, has said, I don't like HR1. HR1, some people are criticized because it, it tries to do too much, but it does do things like mandatory federal requirement that you, for, in federal elections, that automatic voter registration, that you can register on the day, that you can vote by mail. These things that just make life easy for the rest of us in the wake of no evidence of fraud. So that would help. That doesn't address the Electoral Count Act. HR4 is one that Joe Manchin said he would support. This is a minor thing. This takes a bit of an explanation, but Mitch McConnell came out today and said he doesn't support it. HR4 is literally putting back in the civil in the Voting Rights Act something the Supreme Court killed in 2013. 
The Voting Rights Act was put into place to basically implement this, the civil rights amendments to the US Constitution, including the 15th Amendment, which gave men of color, not women, but men of color the right to vote. But then legislatures got cute, passed all these things that made it impossible to vote anyway. You've got to cite the Declaration of Independence. You've got to pay a big tax. Congress got together with Lyndon Johnson and Martin Luther King with his support and passed the Voting Rights Act and said, you know what, if you're a bad actor state and you've done this baloney in the past, you need to run your stuff by the Justice Department. You need to get the blessing of the Justice Department. Supreme Court killed that in 2013, 5-4 decision authored by Chief Justice Roberts. H.R. 4, they said, you know what, Congress, we want an update to that statute sent them back to the drawing board, H.R. 4, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, would just do that, put the Justice Department back, put the cop back on the block. Um, so that is really, really important. Those two pieces are critical, but again, they don't address the Electoral uh, Count Act. But for every listener, I mean, voting is your power. Voting is your seat at the table. Uh, you know, speaking of Senator Manchin, it seems like we've arrived at a place where and no disrespect to the state of West Virginia, but just from a number standpoint, from a percentage of population versus, you know, the aggregate, like the rest of the country. Professor, have we landed in a place where such a small percentage of people through their elected official hold so much sway that really seems to hold so much up? So one is what's in the actual constitution itself that's really hard to change. That is two senators per state. Okay. Um, and so California has the same number of senators as North Dakota. So the people in North Dakota, their vote matters a lot more than the people in California. Any individual person, your vote is massively diluted by dozens and dozens of exponents. Uh, I think, it, I, don't know, I can't remember the statistic, but it's double digits. So that's a problem. The only way to change that would be to actually amend the constitution. Really hard to do. You need two thirds of the majorities of the House in the Senate at the federal level and three quarters of all of the United, all the states legislature. So that's not gonna happen. Um, disproportionate, disproportionate Senate is a problem. However, there could be term limits for senators that would turn things over more and, and minimize um, kind of that entrenched notion that I just don't care because I'm here. Joe Manchin just won reelection. He's there for six more years. Um, and you know, once people are in office, it's, it's harder to get them out. But Senate is kind of stuck. Uh, as is the majority rule in the Constitution for passing legislation, 51. And I mentioned the filibuster. Okay, so Joe Manchin is the, he's the holdup. The reason they're courting him is because it requires, filibuster was removed for federal judges. They want his vote. Biden wants his vote for his federal judges, that 50, 50, 50th vote, and then Kamala Harris would be 51. Um, so, so that, that 50% or that 50, you know, bare majority is in the constitution filibuster is not, but it would require Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, two Democrats who have said they don't want to tinker with the filibuster. They have to come on board. The house of representatives is different there by statute. Okay. Congress passed a statute in the forties, 435 members of the house of representatives. We talk about gerrymandering. We talk about red and blue districts that can't move. Gerrymandering is nowhere in the constitution. That could be amended. That's part of HR 1 to have a commission fix gerrymandering. Um, and Congress could pass the statute saying, you know what, we need a thousand members of Congress. That's going to bring more people into the pie. That's just going to have more voices. And right now we're so polarized and so party oriented that our members of Congress are caring about their professional survival 
more than representing their repre- their constituencies. And that's really a problem, as is money in politics. So I, I could talk a lot about that. Um, you know, I, I don't, you know, we started the show with kind of being gloom and doom about democracy, but I still think it's, you know, we could have a parliamentary system. Other parts of the of the world have different kinds. And I'm not sure that our system is the best, um, but it's lasted a lo- much longer than the framers thought it would last. And it's been, it's, it's the, what's the beauty of the constitution is it, is it is adaptable, right? And, and as much, you know, I also really have problems with people who claim the constitution is a black and white document, the originalists or textualists, because it has adapted. We've seen it adapt. We saw it adapt from slavery to Jim Crow to Black Lives Matter, which is still an issue today, but it's not, you know, I was just watching a program about how many soldiers of color came back from World War II, 900,000 uh, put their lives at, at risk in World War II to defend international democracy to come home to be lynched because you know it was too proud to wear wear a uniform if you were a black man. I mean, we've really come so far, but not. So so I want to be um, optimistic, but 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 it really is one of these things. You know, you hold your kid's hand when you cross the street because you just never know. This is the time, friends, that. Uh, you have to just take every precaution to protect democracy. And that means in this moment, the triages keep Democrats in control of both houses of Congress, which, you know, a lot of pundits in Washington think is not going to happen the next round. You know, with the House of Representatives, obviously you have the the advent of congressional districts, in which obviously then you start to have gerrymandering when you start to literally play with the lines that carve out the districts. Would it, is there any sensibility in the model that you remove di- districts entirely and it's simply being that a state by just simply by its population has a certain number of people that go to the House of Representatives? Well, you know, I, I, I'd have to go back to look to the text and, and to see exactly how that is framed. But but there is a constitutional decision by the United States Supreme Court, the one one voter, um, one person, one vote that has said that you you do have to carve up districts so that there's an equal number of human beings in each district. Um, so I'm not sure if that gets to what you're, you know, I don't know, getting at or not that. So if you had, say, you're saying if you had like, say you've got the, the state of New York and you just have 10 people and everybody votes in the top number the voters goes to to the House of Representatives. It seems like that's conceivable. Um, that's a different kind of voting. It's called ranked choice voting. Certain states are trying it. The city of New York has tried it. We can talk about that. Um, one of the big problems, issues in voting is in most states, at least at the presidential level, it's a winner takes all system. So if 51% of the vote goes to Joe Biden, he gets 100% of the electoral college votes. At the House level, as you indicated, the court has said one person, one vote. So you have to have a number of human beings, equal number of human beings. But the last Supreme Court case on this issue to come up said it doesn't matter if legislatures carve that up so that it's all Republicans or all Democrats concentrated in each of those. And that's the problem, that it's not representative. The court could have, Nick, issued a decision that said, you know what, there has to be some level of equal political representation. But then they said, oh, then that's going to be a hot mess. Does that mean, you know, the uh, the Mars party gets to be in or whatever? I think that, you know, the dissenting justices said, listen, we can do this. We can figure out a reasonable alternative. Um, but what the HR1 would do would say, you know what, we're not going to let politicians pick their voters anymore. 
that's going to go to a, a neutral commission. Um, but most people think HR1 in its current form has zero chances of getting through Congress. Really, Congress is broken, my friends. I mean, it just is not doing its job anymore. It's not passing meaningful legislation. I mean, just the notion of the Voting Rights Act in 1965 happening now, and that was in the midst of the civil rights era. Uh, it's it's inconceivable, really, that the Congress could get together and pass that kind of substantive legislation. We saw a little bit today, a glimmer on, on you know, uh, anti-competitive um, actions in China, bipartisan legislation, but Americans don't think about China. Um, they don't vote about China. And so the stuff Americans really care about that we're so polarized on, immigration, LGBTQ rights, uh, guns, um, uh, health care, uh, these kinds of things, voting now, um, politicians have us angry at each other and in our camps and entrenched, and so they won't do anything. It's it's really a problem. Russell Whaley, um... I want to segue into your two fantastic books, like I mentioned, um, especially I was reading recently How to Read the Constitution and Why, uh, and the other book and what you need to know uh, about voting and why. I love the hows and the whys. The, the buzzword of constitution gets thrown around um, on right, left, center, you know, constitution this, constitution that. Um, and you wrote this fantastic book, right? And what I wanted to ask you was, um, what do you find to be the most frustrating thing when the Constitution and the legal system are discussed in the media? It, just in the context of now that the word Constitution is a buzzword now for people. Um, so what do you find to be the most frustrating thing that people are not understanding? Is it something that you touch upon in the book? Oh, yes. It's why I wrote the book. So, you know, I never planned to be in media at all. This was never something I thought I could do, let alone wanted to do or have an opportunity to do. And it was four years ago reading a New York Times piece um, in which somebody said the pardon power is absolute. There are no limits on the pardon power. You know, that's an overstatement. There's there aren't any really almost any maybe the 13th amendment ban on slavery but you could make arguments that there there's forms of slavery that still exist in america um uh that are legal but um nothing in the constitution is that black and white and i would say mike that's one of the biggest myths and it's been peddled also by our judiciary our, our candidates for the supreme court we heard amy coney barrett say you know i read the plain language i stick to the text no I mean, that's it's an old document. It's really short. Uh, I just did a piece today in the Bulwark on the Second Amendment. I've gotten some people mad about that. Uh, and great example. People think the Second Amendment sacrosanct can't can't do any, you know, can't even limit it in any way. Or that's that's some people's belief. It talks about militias and it talks about the right to bear arms, but it doesn't say how those pieces fit together. The court used to say it was limited to militias and then switched in 2008 and said that actually gives an individual right. There you have the United States Supreme Court historically interpreted it in two ways. It's like a poem. It's like a biblical text. It gets interpreted. And I think there's an instinct in the media to have easy answers and and um, to, to want to get to the bottom line. And these are complex. You can see in this conversation. Uh, you need to understand some of the foundation of the house before you put the roof on, you know, or the finishing touches on it. And that takes some time and that takes some education. So what my book tries to do is teach people how to think about the Constitution themselves so they can draw these conclusions on their own and they don't have to listen to me and other pundits in 30 seconds on CNN and tell them what to believe. Um, and the why part is there is if you understand the rationale behind 
the Constitution, like any law, it makes more sense to you. And then you can then you can maybe noodle through it on your own. For example, um, the ex example I use for my students is, you know, we have 65 miles an hour here to, to Baltimore. I live in Washington. That's very easy to implement. But you but sometimes it's too fast in a snowstorm. You could switch it to drive safely. That's the kind of thing. OK, it's very subjective. You're going to have to have evidence. It's going to be really difficult. But you both laws are really about making it safe for people to drive at the same time that it's easy to administer. That's what's called a policy argument. So my book kind of kind of breaks down how to think about the Constitution in common sense terms. It's really a job description for government. The other thing um, is that it's not a monarchy. So one thing, you could be an originalist or a living constitutionalist or debate how to read the Constitution. One thing is for sure, people fought and died to get rid of an unlimited monarchy where what the king says goes and the people have no say in it. And I think that's the that's where you keep your eye on the ball. We need to come together as we the people and and adhere to the, the roadmap for our democracy and not keep fighting about who's wearing, you know, if it's a blue collared shirt or red collared cop, cop uniform, right? Because if the whole bridge goes down of the constitution, and I say this in my book, we all go down. It doesn't matter. And we've seen this historically in the um, across the globe. People don't understand. If we no longer have a say in our government, the rights that you and I take for granted are gone because they become arbitrary. I don't like someone with blue eyes. We're going to put you in jail. I don't like that point of view. We're going to audit you and, and, and uh, you know, take over your, your property, whatever it is. People will do whatever they can do if they have the power. That's exactly why the framers broke up the power of our government into three different branches so that it's not accumulated in one place because they understood it's human nature to abuse power. You mentioned, you know, we were tr transitioning from media to education. Funny enough, Mike's backgrounds in media minds and education. Mm. You're a law professor. What is, what kind of unpacking do you find yourself often doing, you know, when students come into your classroom? Like what are the, what are some of the assertions that people have or students have about our legal system, the constitution? Like what trends do you notice that you have to do a lot of job of sort of just breaking apart and unpacking, you know, as, as the learning begins, you know, for the work that you do? Yeah. So, you know, there's a study out of the Annenberg Center, the University of Pennsylvania for that's gone out and done it every, I don't know, it's every year, every few years, but pretty consistently only a third of Americans can name the three branches of government, judicial, executive, and legislative. Um, most are, are, you know, a significant number can't name a single right protected by the first amendment. Um, there was a study done a few years ago of recent college grads uh, and a, a, a shocking percentage thought Judge Judy, the TV star, was on the U.S. Supreme Court. So I, I've, you know, civic education is a crisis in this country. In the time of Lincoln, people could recite the Constitution. They, re, I mean, if you read the Gettysburg Address, it's quite complicated. It's dense. It's it's very nuanced. It's uh, a lot of packed in there. And and people who listened to Lincoln understood it because they they a lot of them understood this stuff. Our 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 citizenry, unless frankly you or an immigrant who had to take a, a test of citizenry, said, and we don't understand this stuff. So to answer your question, Mike, I break everything down. Uh, I mean, I teach them, and this is in my book too, what's the difference between a statute and a case decided by a court? What's the difference between a, a civil trial and a criminal trial? People, if, you're, if it's a criminal trial, you can go to jail. Um, you know, 
The other big thing is just what I was discussing with Mike, that they all want answers. What do you want on the exam, Professor Whaley? It's like, no, I want you to think through the nuances of the problem, weigh both sides of the issue, gather all of the facts that are relevant, gather the standards, and then argue both sides. Because if you are tunnel vision, you're going to get killed in court because the other side's going to point something out that you forgot. So there's something really magical about legal thinking. And actually, uh, my third book comes out February 1st with Harper, and it's called How to Think Like a Lawyer and Why, um, an uh, Everyday Guide to to or uh, something guide to everyday dilemmas, but it's basically how to, how to think like a lawyer. And I break this down because the instinct more and more in the 16 years I've been teaching is memorize, regurgitate, memorize, regurgitate. The independent thinking is very hard uh, for, to get them, many of these students to, to, to be willing to do. They, they want an answer. And that's this polarized black and white thinking we're in. I'm on team red, I'm on team blue. I'm sticking with my team. I don't care what the evidence is. I don't care who gets hurt. That's my team. And it's a very corrosive, unproductive way of thinking. It helps in a pinch, in a crisis. You know, if you've got a if you've got to make a, a life and death decision, that that kind of thinking is very valuable, but not when it comes to complex policy issues facing this country now. You know, and it's a it's a perfect transition. I find myself saying this a lot on the show because um, Nick and I started this podcast to be informational, educational, and not just going to get it from us, but you're going to get it from people like you. We've had Ellie Honig on the show, Michael Eric Dyson, Olivia Troy, different people that have worked not only in news and politics. And you started recently a show called Simple Politics that you can check out on YouTube. Um, but tell us a little bit about Simple Politics, because you've had a few different episodes about some intricate topics, specifically the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and you've really broken it down for the layperson. So why don't you tell our audience a little bit about that show and the goals that, that you aim to accomplish? Yeah, thank you for that. So this is on Instagram, and I and when I can, I do it live, but then the, the, the full version does go on YouTube called Simple Politics. And the idea was, after doing hundreds of... TV interviews, podcasts, they tend to be better, but a lot of NPR, short radio uh, hits. I found myself wanting to not just go deeper, but but to start from the beginning and break everything down. If you're a newbie to this topic, let's, let's just start from the basics and then build our way up to the sophistication. Because I found, and you know, maybe this is partly the motivation for you all too, I think people are almost embarrassed sometimes that that they don't know some of these basic civics or say Israel, Israel, Palestine. I mean, I, I didn't know a lot about it. So I invited an expert and I just didn't have the time to do all the deep dive research and have someone really ask the question so that I can get a surgical answer and not read 15 articles and still not see how the dots connected. So the goal of the show is to get somebody on that, that I know how to answer, ask the questions as a law professor and done a little bit of background to connect the dots, dot to dot to dot. So as you indicated, I've got an expert on China on there, Bonnie Glazer, if you wanna know, why are we so worried about China? Why should Americans care? Lots of legal stuff, of course. Great show on poverty in America, breaking down tremendous myths um, and how really capitalists, you know, big corporations should get behind a hike in the minimum wage. Using your logical mind to see a different point of view. Um, and I just do it because it's fun, frankly, and I get to meet really interesting people and learn a ton. <laughs> the reason we started this show in all seriousness, and we conceptualized it back in the summer, and I've no made numerous points about this on the show, but um, 
I started traveling in the Southeast and during, you know, COVID and the George Floyd and the civil unrest. And I found a lot of that's your fact. That's your fact. Uh, uh-uh. That's all fact. It's not my fact. It's not your fact. If we can't meet at the sky's blue and the sun is yellow, then this conversation cannot continue. But we need to understand also, I guess there's the two parts of it is like, do we need to argue with that person that says the sky is orange? Do, like, do we need to bring them back into the sun is yellow and the sky is blue? Um, that's that's a different topic altogether. But I truly appreciate what it is that you're doing on Simple Politics. And like I said, it's something that we kind of emulate on this show. So thank you so much for coming on the program today, Professor Whaley. All the best and continued success to you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I appreciate the work that you're doing, too. I hope you have a wide audience to, to listen to this because it's really important to get the word out. That was Professor Kim Whaley, like I mentioned, University of Baltimore School of Law. If you're a student there, you've got a great professor. You're getting your money's worth, people. That's right. She is the author of those fantastic books, like I mentioned, um, How to Read the Constitution and Why, because that's the important part. Yeah, anybody can read it. It's, It's why. And what you need to know about voting and why those books are available wherever books are sold. Um, you can check out all her articles online at thebulwark.com, at Politico, at The Hill, and you can catch her around the circuit, CNN, MSNBC, CBS News. She's been pretty much everywhere. Uh, Nick, Professor Whaley, you know, I, we were talking about it off air about the gloom and doom scenarios. But, you know, I, I think it is uh, if, if you feel that way and you are teaching young minds of tomorrow about things that not only happened in the past, things that have happened from a legal perspective, current day, like then it it is incumbent upon somebody to say, Hey man, this stuff is wrong. This is what's going to impact. Not me, not my kid, maybe my kid's kid, you know, things like that. So I thought her takes on a lot of this stuff and it's really not her takes because it's wrapped around factual evidence of things that are happening right now in the news, the legal cycle and stuff like that. What'd you make of, of Professor Whaley and some of the stuff that she discussed, the Voting Rights Act? There's so much to digest there. Dude, I feel validated. I mean, I've been saying this shit to you for years and to other friends of mine about like we're in a crisis like this is this is actually happening you know january 6th again it was led by just a parade of morons but the next time that you have to assume people are going to do that right and there are there is a system right now in place in courts like we're not having the conversation enough to say you know this is out of control like there has to be legal protections and you know i think professor whaley really gives just validation to all of that you know what she brings up though is from these very different spaces and you heard just her her just amazing experience um it's like really just meaningfully how to really understand this and understand really what the stakes are and i can't recommend enough her books i think you know we've talked often you and i offline and sometimes on this show too about civic engagement and she spoke a lot about this too. Like we've all got to be as citizens in this country. Like we got to recognize that elections matter up and down. She said that on the show talking about, it's not just the federal elections. Not every four years you show up and vote for president. That's right. But who, who influences the way voting works in your congressional district? You know, like when you go to wherever you go to vote and hopefully you know where that is, Right. you know, who sort of sets the table for how that, how that system works.
So anyway, she she hits on all of it. That was no, you're, awesome, you're awesome right. conversation. You're right. It's very important. I think one of the things I uh, like and admire about her is um, this un- this fundamental understanding. It's the basis for our show, right? People lack a fundamental understanding of something. And then it gets wrapped around in this, well, that is your fact. That's your fact. People can't differentiate between fact and opinion. Like, and that's why I love the concept of simple politics. You can check it out, like she mentioned, across her Instagram um, and social platforms, and sometimes on YouTube. You can check out her articles online, like I mentioned, and check out the Patreon portion where she came on to really tell us about how do we get people more civically engaged? Is it something that we can do similar to what they're doing with the vaccine and trying to bribe people to understand stuff? So, Uh, I thought she'd give a fantastic answer on that. Head to Patreon, type in Can We Please Talk Podcast or go to our show notes page. And all you can do is click on the link right there and become a Patreon subscriber to listen to all that. Bagel and coffee in New York City, people. That's all. It's all costs. Seriously. Get the good stuff. Get behind the wall, people. It's a cup of coffee and a bagel, Nick. You forget about the bagel. I said that. I said a bagel and a cup of coffee. Oh, you did. Okay. Well, then I apologize. And and also, by the way, it's it's deli coffee and a bagel, too. So you don't really got to go to an actual bagel spot. So head on over to the Patreon part because that's a little bit cheaper for people. Um, But you want to stay on the freemium side, YouTube. Nick's pointing down, smashing the subscribe button, audio platforms, you know them by now, Apple, Spotify, Google, all the majors. Uh, check out our show. Email us, folks. Please email us. Can we please talk podcast at yahoo.com. If you want to talk about tonight's topic, you've got something you want to get off your chest, but any of the episodes, you've got recommendations for us, please hit us up um, and follow us on social as well, IG, TikTok at Can We Please Talk Podcast, and on Twitter at Can We Please Talk. As always, I'm Mike Leon. I'm grateful to be doing this show with amazing people like him and Mike. I'm Nick Sperry. Oh, that is great. You know what? That is a very kumbaya moment. Well done by you, sir. Clip that, man. No, I'm not going to clip it. I'm going to keep it. It's a kumbaya I mean, clip, moment. I mean, clip it like the... You know, oh, clip it like keep it. Okay, not, I got not, you. not leave it on the cutting room floor, you know. I got you. I got you. Have a good one, everybody. Later.